0: You're listening to The Diplomat's podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host from New York City, Ankit Panda, editor at large at The Diplomat and a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment on International Peace. So as some of our listeners may have been able to tell, um, the podcast and The Diplomat are in a bit of a transition right now. Um, I recently stepped down from my former role as senior editor uh, into my new role as editor at large. uh, So I'm still writing at The Diplomat. I actually recently started a new blog uh, called By Other Means, which I hope you'll check out. Um, Most of what I'll be covering there will will be familiar to listeners of the podcast. uh, Topics in Asian geopolitics, um, defense technology, uh, emerging technologies in defense, uh, security issues around the Asia-Pacific, what have you. Sort of a platform for me to um, just keep writing at The Diplomat and keep my presence up. But the good news is that uh, we're actually going to have a few new voices at The Diplomat. And one of them is actually who I'm very excited to introduce to everyone today. So... Joining me on the show today is Abhijanand Um Abhijanand, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, Ankit.
0: So, uh, as some of our listeners may have seen on The Diplomat, you are our new security and defense editor. Is that right? Yes, that is. That Terrific. Is, so, is. I'm hoping to first of all, use this episode as a way to just introduce our listeners uh, to a new voice in the Diplomat family. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, what, you know, where you were before you uh, joined the Diplomat? Sure.
1: Uh, Yeah. So I am a mathematical physicist by training, uh, though now that seems uh, like a past life for me in many ways. Um, And uh, in terms of my policy work, I was first fellow and then senior fellow of, uh, in the Strategic Studies Program at the Observer Research Foundation, New Delhi, which is a think tank. Uh, after which, I took a little bit of a break for a year uh, to work uh, on a couple of projects of my own, uh, including a book project that 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 I'm that, that I'm working on. And uh, my interests uh, are 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 varied. Uh, and uh, in terms of what I have started covering uh, for, for the diplomat, uh, first, uh, as you know, as, as somebody who would occasionally write for, for, for the outlet, and now in my formal role, um, it, it's, it sort of extends from um, obviously South Asian security issues to um, harder defense issues across the region, military issues uh, involving China, but also countries like Australia. And uh, very recently, I, I have jumped into looking at emerging technologies and military strategy and science and technology and policy in general.
0: That's terrific. So for listeners, so i somebody I've been talking to about South Asian security issues and reading for a very long time. So uh, I'm really delighted that he's now in-house at The Diplomat. Uh, And if you go to the site, uh, you'll see that he's already been covering a wide range of topics. Everything from Indo-U.S. cooperation on geospatial intelligence with the uh, slated signing of the final of the so-called foundational agreements between the two sides, um, to Australia's Defense Strategic Update, to uh, Sino Indian relations. Two emerging technology issues, uh, intellectual property theft, China's Thousand Talents program. Um, So my hope going forward for the geopolitics uh, for the Asia geopolitics podcast is actually to have Abhijan on as a more regular guest to talk a little bit about his writing and research um, for the diplomat uh, as our as our interests overlap quite a bit. Um, But yeah, so I mean, you know, when when it comes to, uh, you know, the Indo-Pacific landscape today, um, obviously, you know, a the 2020 has been a landmark year in so many ways, just because of the pandemic, the attendant rise in um, friction along, uh, you know, primarily China's periphery, everywhere from the South China Sea to the Himalayas, which will what we, you know, what we'll talk about in a little more detail today. Uh, but what are some of the uh, specific security issues that, um, you know, have have jumped out to you this year that you think just haven't been getting the kind of attention or coverage that they deserve?
1: see yeah, i i mean for me uh sitting where i do which is in new delhi uh this is the year where the world realized that india is a frontline state when it comes to uh either managing chinese bad behavior or facing the brunt of chinese uh bad behavior, as the case may be so in many ways that that is that is uh that is what, how I think I'd remember this year uh, go, going forward. Because typically when you think about India and India's security challenges, um, uh, people uh, associate India with Pakistan, maybe also with Kashmir, um, but never quite uh, quite in terms of, of China. Um, by the way, a related realization, uh, I think uh, for a lot of us, have been the fact that Kashmir in itself is a trilateral dispute. It involves three parties, right? Or rather, um, what used to be the former state of uh, Jammu, Indian state of Jammu and Kashmir, uh, which now mm-hmm. territories, Jammu and Kashmir and uh, Ladakh since, uh, since August last year. So you realize because of Aksai Chin, because, uh, which, is, which is a large part of uh, Ladakh that uh, China uh, occupies and India claims, and the history is very convoluted goes back 150 years um, uh, because of all of this you you uh, there is a realization I think across the globe that Kashmir is also a three-way three-way dispute uh, and and this has been uh, the case for a very long time so I would say in in terms of uh, South Asia these would be or southern Asia rather these would be things that that would that, that stand out uh, when we look at this year going ahead mm-hmm. um, uh, the other thing that, that, that uh, at least for me that, the, that, that has been um, very noticeable has been um, how Australia has also emerged as as another frontline state, M- maybe not frontline in a geographical sense, but but in terms of how they have been dealing with various uh, various Chinese uh, b- actions uh, b- both inside the country in terms of influence and, and economic coercion, but also in the South China Sea so as i as i look at the strategic landscape i would say india china pakistan as a problem as a three way problem and australia at the other end in in, in the pacific as uh, as as a as, as a frontline state so the, the, this would be where uh this would be my starting point essentially
0: absolutely uh, yeah and I'm hoping uh, you know going forward we'll be able to talk a little bit more uh, about Australia's role in the indo-pacific it's something we've talked about on the podcast on and off I recently had uh, Ashley Townshend uh, from um, the United States oh. study center at uh, in Sydney and we talked in some depth about Australia's um, defense strategic update and basically strategic thought in Canberra about mm. shifting geopolitical dynamics uh in the in the indo-pacific today uh and you know I hope mm. to revisit many of these themes and with you over over the coming months and years um, as you uh, as you get settled in at The Diplomat. Um, today, I'm hoping to go back to a theme that's uh, been a little bit more recently covered on the podcast, uh, which is the ongoing Sino-Indian tensions along the border. Uh, so, you know, you've already alluded to this and set us up nicely for this discussion by talking a little bit about Aksai Chin and the, and the trilateral nature of that dispute. Um, I mean, I remember last year, I think you and I had a couple brief exchanges on Twitter uh, about... You know this uh, this very specific issue and um, the effect that India's bifurcation uh, and the decision to do away with Article 370 of the Indian Constitution would mm. have on Sino-Indian border. And and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that. I wrote an article last year basically saying that <laughs> something that <laughs> India can expect is more trouble along this border because sure. the Chinese foreign ministry wasn't too coy when that happened, right? They, yeah. they strongly uh, objected. And then, of course, this year we have a major standoff. And, you know, I've been talking to other folks. Uh, we had uh, MIT's uh, Taylor Fravel on the podcast recently, mm. uh, and I think he concurred that, uh, you know, a lot of this goes back to the 2017 standoff in Doklam. Um, but so what's been interesting? Uh, you know, I'm not going to bore our listeners who've been listening to the show by uh, you know recounting what happened in the Himalayas. There's a previous episode uh, that we did uh, with with Taylor where we covered this in some detail, but what's been interesting is the fact that, you know, we've settled now into this stalemated situation where um, the two sides keep having these military-military talks, little progress is made, and and in the meantime, uh, the Indian government keeps things really, you know, is keeping a tight lid on things. Uh, it's not very keen to talk about what's happening along the border. Uh, the information we're getting is from um, a, a very small group of uh, very dedicated and skilled reporters uh, mm-hmm. doing work from this region. But, you know, what how do you how do you make sense of uh, the the current dynamics uh, between the two countries uh, in sort of managing this this dispute? What is what exactly are the foundational factors that have led to this turning into a stalemate? Well, the the
1: the the, the fact that uh, things have come uh, come to a halt shouldn't come as a surprise, essentially, right? Because if you look at uh, one of the one of the specific points, the Pangong Lake, you realize that the claims and and, and counterclaims are, are, are very nebulous, and I'm sure that uh, you have you have discussed this with uh, uh, Taylor Favel and 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 others in your previous episodes. So, what's going on with uh, at the, at the Pangong Lake is this, right? Just quickly we can, uh, the the, this, the story is that uh, India's uh, claim line. Uh, uh, or, or rather, India's claim uh, uh, of where the line of actual control lies go, goes to a feature called Finger Eight. Meanwhile, China's goes to a fing, uh, to Finger Two. So then, in in between these two these two features, essentially, you have a gray zone, right? So, 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 so there is. There is no line, depending on on weather patterns and seasons and so on and so forth, both sides would patrol up to certain points and and things were fine. Now, what happened is that you had China making permanent construction, blacktopping a road, leading from finger eight to finger four, which effectively, as far as India is concerned, is shifting the line of actual control. Now, never... uh, well, rather ignoring the fact that there is no line in the line of actual control. It's kind of something that's, that sits sits in people's head. Uh, this is a shift of status quo as far as India is concerned. And that and this very specific spot, the spot between figure two and figure eight and, and along with Pangong Lake, is where uh, the trickiest part of the negotiations are going. So the state of play right now is this. China proposed in the last round of military talks that there be a mutual disengagement at at that spot, which meant that that if China moves back from finger four up to a point, India will also have to uh, have to move back, right? But effectively, India rejected this, right? India said China, Chinese uh, troops have to go back all the way back to back to finger eight, and so that, that's the cause of the state uh, at this point. Um, so that, that, that's, that's the very nitty-gritty uh, sort, sort of tactical details uh, about what's, what's going on. But what is very interesting is that, as you, as you rightly pointed out, uh, uh, the Indian government is keeping a tight lid on, on, on the whole story. So you, you don't really know what's really going on other than relying on the reports of certain, certain reporters and journalists. But at the same time, now you see the Indian Chief of Defense Staff, uh, mm-hmm. General uh, Bipin Rawat, um, issuing an open military threat or, or, or issuing a statement that, that that amounts to a military threat uh, where he said uh, yesterday's uh, something along the lines that all uh, options, including military ones, are, 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 are on the table if, if these talks fail, uh, knowing very well that the talks are... The talks are talks are deadlocked right right Uh, because the talks are talks are being essentially being led uh, by 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 the militaries of both sides though i I should i should emphasize that there's perhaps some talks going on through other political channels that you don't hear about right which which for for example we now know that the national security advisor of india was in touch with the with the state counselor uh, very early on in the crisis, so I don't know what's going on there, but at least officially, mm-hmm. it's being led by military and and the military, uh, the chief of the Indian defense staff saying all military, uh, all uh, all options, including kinetic ones, are on the table. Yeah. So, so I I think I think that's the, that's the interesting bit.
0: Yeah. So I I actually yeah I want to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, and yeah, absolutely, as you noted, that there are these parallel tracks <laughs> of uh, of talks taking place, um, and of course, I think you know um, maybe what's worth emphasizing, again, I don't want to go too much into the tactical details, because uh, we've already done a podcast on that. Mm. But I think what's what's uh, very interesting about this year's standoff is that it's not you know, it's not just Chumar, it's not just song it's not just Doklam, uh, it's not just Tawang. I mean, this time it is multiple points, that's primarily in the Western sector. Uh, we had an initial incident in May in the Sikkim sector, uh, which nominally is a settled right. border, uh, but it is multiple transgressions at the same time. So it's, it's just different in scope. And obviously, you know, the June 15th. Um, Fatalities of 20 Indian soldiers and an unknown number of Chinese casualties. I think really um, emphasized and really I think elevated this on on um, in terms of global headlines. Uh, the whole world was kind of asleep to this. Um, dispute taking place. And when that happened, I think that it really, you know, popped onto front page news uh, everywhere around the world. Uh, But I want to come back uh, to your reference to statements uh, made yesterday. Uh, So we're taping this on August 25th. On Monday, August 24th, um, General Bipin Rawat, the chief of defense staff, the inaugural chief of defense staff in India, by the way, um, made this very interesting uh, remark. Um, And, you know, on some level, so on some level, it's it's it should be non-controversial for a senior military op- official to point out to the press that military options exist. Uh, that is the military's job; it is to prepare options for political leadership, if if and when they choose to exercise those options. But what's been interesting. Uh, and you know, um, for anybody um, following security issues in India, I mean, Bipin Rawat has a bit of a history with um, perhaps overstepping his portfolio when it comes to um, you know speaking for the political leadership. India has a very particular tradition of civil-military relations, where military leaders, generally, with with notable historical exceptions, um, do not play a forward role in the foreign policy process. Unlike a certain neighbor uh, to India's uh, uh, to <laughs> India's west. Um, but, you know, it's interesting that Rawat, I mean, he specifically says the military option to deal with transgressions by the Chinese army in Ladakh are on, but it will be exercised only if talks at the military and diplomatic level fail. So he's sort of setting this red line condition, uh, which to me, I mean, uh, you know, I think I think that's a little bit um, dangerous for a military officer to go to that extent and, and really, you know, lay out this option. I mean, on yes. one level, I think he might think that, you know, this is making... <clears throat> the or empowering the negotiators to uh convey to china that there will be credible costs if if these negotiations fail but then again you know i have to ask myself i mean is this is this really going to um succeed in in convincing the chinese that you know they should shift their negotiating positions i mean i mean not really so uh, i'm wondering you know how you uh made sense of that no
1: you know first of all ankit uh, while uh, general rawat uh, was was in, in perhaps in a characteristic way, blunt uh, and, 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 and also stated the obvious. Uh, 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 this is not the first time that, that, uh, that, that a senior Indian uh, leader um, uh, has, has uh, issued or made a statement uh, along this direction. So if you remember when Rajnath Singh, who's India's defense minister, visited Ladakh, Right. Right after that, he also made uh, a, an oblique statement, perhaps saying that the uh, the army should be ready for any eventuality. Right? Mm-hmm. So that that is you have had that. Uh, m- much more dramatically, you had the prime minister's visit to 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 Ladakh, um, and, and it made for very striking imagery in many ways, where you had the prime minister being flanked by the defense uh, by uh, by uh, the Indian. Um, uh, chief of defense staff the army chief and the local commanders all 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 together so so there has been these uh, these uh, sort of uh, if you wish uh, uh, demonstrations that india, india uh, means business and that it, it's simply not going to allow china to 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 change the status quo but coming back to 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 what general uh, rawat could have alluded to so in my mind there are just two possibilities here one possibility is that it is for domestic consumption and the other possibility logically speaking is that it's a threat right now the domestic what is baffling about both is is that at many levels neither of them make sense and I'll, I'll tell you why the domestic consumption bit does not make sense because if you look at the Prime Minister's recent popularity ratings right they're very high right it, it, it despite uh, alleged mis- uh, mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic and obviously, uh, obviously, China and, and and certain opposition parties making a lot of noise about both. The prime minister's ratings remain very high, right? Which means that uh, this crisis is not going to cast a shadow on upcoming state uh, state elections, which is something that I I wondered at at, at some point. So b- before the ratings were uh, were were published, that's one. Uh so why would you why would you make 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 a statement of 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 the sort if it is not for domestic consumption here parenthetically you should also keep in mind that that general rawat uh, is politically very well connected to, to, to the Prime Minister's party, to the, to the Bharatiya Janata party, even though his, officially, even at his official post is completely apolitical due to the country's um, uh, civil-military relations patterns that you, you, you refer to. So, so the domestic consumption part clearly doesn't make sense. Plus there is also a very real danger here that the Ch- following this statement, the Chinese will dig in. They'll just say, to hell with the talks. Let's not even keep up the facade of talking and you do what you have to do, right? So th- there's that danger. So that's that's the domestic consumption. Now let's look at the other uh, other logical possibility. Right? This is a threat for the Chinese. Now even that, to my mind, is 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 is, is a little confusing because threat to what end, right? Because the mm-hmm. Chinese very well know that 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 India uh, reserves the right to uh, exercise the kinetic option. I mean, I mean you know, the d- d- many divisions worth of troops present there. Uh, you, you know, certain weapon systems have been have been sent in uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, so China knows very well, right. That, that, that there's this, uh, there, there is this, uh, option that India can exercise. Uh, so the threat part probably also is, 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 a, is a little confusing because at the same time, by the way, if you keep on saying, well, we reserve the right, uh, to exercise the military option, then, um, a, you better do it when, when the time comes or you have egg on your face. That's one problem. Or B, there is the there is the possibility that that, that the Ch- Chinese may try to preempt you, uh, fearing a surprise attack, right? Uh, because sure. because if, if they take your threat to, threat too seriously, so t- these are the factors to my mind w- which which makes um, Jawaharlal's Rawat's, uh, Rawat's statement uh, statement a, a little little confusing because you can't really understand who is this target audience, right? Who is he targeting when he's making this statement? Is it the uh, india's public uh, or or, or uh, you know the core base of the Bharatiya Janata party uh, the prime minister's party or or is it is it the chinese
0: right i mean it's uh yeah and you know that is that is the peril of signaling it is- often messy business and doesn't necessarily work as uh, as intended a lot of the time. And I think we've noticed that That's right. a fair bit uh, in in India-China crises. I mean, certainly Del Clam, yes. I think I can think of, you know, five or six similar examples from that crisis that sure. come to mind. Um, but, you know, something else I wanted to take the opportunity to address, uh, you know, we are running a little short on time, but I wanted to get to this with you, is so one of the trends that we have seen in India uh, since we last did a podcast uh, on this theme is, you know, India has begun to take steps asymmetrically to retaliate or impose costs on China. And a lot of these have been in the economic realm. And and quite frankly, you know, uh, to anybody looking at the broader uh, geopolitical scope of issues concerning um, economic competition with China, uh, the scope isn't quite exciting, right? India was out front in banning Fifty-nine Chinese apps, including TikTok, uh, before that became an issue in the United States, uh, India has quietly, in recent days, taken steps to sideline Huawei, uh, the Chinese uh, tech mm. giant, without uh, taking necessarily formal steps to provide top-down economic guidance. Um, but you know, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you know what, um, why exactly uh, you know this has been. A reaction this time around, when you know during Doklam or previous crises, we did, we didn't we didn't necessarily observe India take these kinds of steps. There was a much um, much rosier compartmentalization yes. of the crisis, where India understood that the border remained unsettled and there would continue to be um, skirmishes with China along the border, but the economic relationship could continue to veer between competition and cooperation. Now it's a, it's a lot more confrontational uh, on yes. the on the economic front.
1: Um, so, so first of all, uh, Ankit, if you look at the uh, look at the last four years of of uh, India-China relations, right? Uh, I, I mean, things have gotten progressively worse, by the way. Uh, but uh, to 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 imagine that that India had never contemplated any economic retaliation uh, against China would perhaps not be completely true. I'll give you an example. When in twenty sixteen, um, uh, China essentially and effectively blocked India's entry to the nuclear supplier school. Right? Uh, uh, there were reports uh, uh, in the press uh, that suggested that uh, officials were contemplating some action against Indian uh, Chinese foreign direct investment to India. Right now these rep- obviously they were not not acted upon at that point these recommendations or these proposals but w- w- which you now saw where where this year there from this year off, there is a law that that requires uh, chinese uh investors to seek government approval uh before they invest in india so it's no longer automatic so 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 that's one part but i think what had happened is the symbolism of 20 indian 21 rather uh, Indian soldiers being clubbed to death, right? With and and, and if you looked at if you uh, Indian media's coverage of what happened in the, after the June fifteenth clash, it was fairly graphic at places, right? So for a Hindu nationalist party that prides itself on, on uh, as being the protector of of of, of Mother India, right, because India, for, 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 for a lot of the Indian, uh, for, for a lot of the country's right wing, is literally a mother figure, right? So for that party to not act, being in power, having the political mandate that it does enjoy, uh, when you had 21 Indian soldiers being killed, in it's frankly not something that that, uh, that, that could have happened. And I, and I think the Prime Minister realized this very, mm. very well. But but at the same time, what do you do? I mean, I mean, I mean you can't go to war clearly because of, of, of the obvious costs involved. So the, the, they found some very clever way to 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 switch public anger, and also tell China that they mean business, and that that's where the, for example, the ban on 59 apps, including TikTok, uh, that that's where that comes in. Because by the, by the way, then the, the, that India's decision in itself uh, was noted, right? Noted uh, around the world, uh, and and so so that's that. But uh, and and then you also have uh, now rumors essentially that that Huawei will be not allowed into into the five G trials. I say rumors because you know there there is a lot of kite flying that happens in in in, in this town where something is proposed just to sense you know how things would go and then quietly mm-hmm. you, you know walked back. But but there, there there is that. But beyond all of this, right? Oh, and of course, then there was these tightening on, on of, of visas oh, visas for Chinese uh, uh, to India were, were already fairly difficult, as it was, as has been the case for uh, when it came to visas for Indians to China. Um, And you have these. tightening, But but these I, I think the government is trying to sort of say, look, you know, we are doing something because there's this fear that, you know, what are you doing? Right. And and, and fear people who do. So, so there's this is uh, a. Part of it is the performance so 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 that's happening because when you look at the trade the 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 real meat of, of the economic relationship which is the bilateral trade between these two countries, it's completely asymmetric uh and, and 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 in favor of uh in favor of china i mean it's, it's, it simply i mean let's say you ban uh all trade with China. i mean it's impossible I mean, it's, just, it's an absurd thought but it's thought experiment you can think about that and if you do so you ask, you know, how much damage are you doing to China at, at, at the end of the day, right? Which is not much. And how right. much damage are you doing to yourself in, in, in the process? Mm-hmm. So, so between that being a factor, between kinetic options being rather unpalatable, uh, you know, the government had to strike a note of some sort. And, and then you see, see, see these, these uh, technology-related uh, uh, actions against, against patients.
0: Yeah and you know I mean something I'm hoping to dig into uh in in um in a future episode is looking at how India is now apparently, you know, geoeconomically bandwagoning with other countries around the region. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the Quad, um, but it's interesting to see, for example, that India, Japan, and Australia have now um, started consultations on a trilateral supply, supply. chain resilience in, in, initiative, right. which is quite interesting to reduce dependence on China. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's you that's know, th- this idea that India can weaponize its market uh, against against uh, China. I mean, particularly against, you know, tech companies in China, TikTok, Huawei, where India is actually seen as a major prize to be won uh, in, in the Indo-Pacific. Right. Uh, there, I think, you know, India definitely sees itself having having some degree of leverage and is and is apparently willing to use that. Uh, so that's been uh, quite interesting to observe as well. But unfortunately, uh, Abhijan, we are out of time. But, uh, you know, I hope that this is going to be the first of many podcasts together. And uh, once again, You know welcome uh welcome aboard to the diplomat and i uh, look forward to having you back on
1: thank you ankit it was really uh real fun being being uh, doing this and i hope to be back for for other episodes
0: as well for listeners if you've been a subscriber to the podcast but you haven't yet left us a review we'd really appreciate if you could do that really helps get the word out about the show and if you haven't yet subscribed please do so we'd uh we'd love for you to keep up with uh, future coverage on on this podcast Finally, before we close, a quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the Asia Geopolitics Podcast is brought to you by Diplomat Risk Intelligence or DRI. DRI is the consulting and analysis division of The Diplomat, the Asia Pacific's leading current affairs magazine. Since its launch in 2002, The Diplomat has been dedicated to quality analysis and commentary on events and trends in Asia and around the world, and is now one of the most respected publications covering the region. DRI inherits this approach and offers clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors worldwide access to an exclusive network of subject matter experts and analysts. Whatever your needs in the wider Asia-Pacific region, DRI can offer the knowledge and expertise necessary to anticipate and manage geopolitical and geoeconomic risks. For more information, please visit dri.thediplomat.com. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back soon with more.